morning, everyone. It is, it is so wonderful to see you and to, to do church together. Oh, hello. Um, <laughs> um, oh, hello. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, wow. I, gosh, that was a wonderful time of worship. I'm, I'm so thankful to you guys. Thank you. And um, uh, there are Sundays when the Lord is kind enough to line up what we do in worship to what we're speaking about, and he's done that again. Um, he's really helped me out this morning. Um, yeah. Later, we're going to talk about God's tender mercy, and I just, I felt like that like a wrecking ball this morning. Um, so if that's you too, then um, watch this space. Um, for those who don't know me, I should say, I'm Alistair. Um, I was a student here uh, a while ago. I graduated in 2019, finished my physics degree. I worked for the church for a year doing what Hannah's currently doing. I was our voluntary pastoral assistant in 2020, 2019, 2020. Um, that finished during COVID, and I, I, I went and worked for a school uh, for a couple of years, which was just wonderful. Um, but now I've left that, and I have abandoned the world of work, and I'm back to being a student. Uh, so to students, yay. To the adults, I'm really sorry. I'm another one of those for now. Uh, great. Uh, th- <laughs> uh, this morning, we're continuing our series in Luke. Um, we're finishing chapter one, and uh, it's a long chapter, it's a long old chapter, and we decided to take our time um, through this portion of Luke. You might be thinking it's a bit weird to be kind of doing the Advent stories like all the way up to Christmas, but I just find so often that we kind of skip over a lot of the bits within the Advent story, um, because we've only got four weeks of Advent, um, so we're really zooming in, and we're taking our time to look at specific characters and see um, through their eyes the anticipation for the Savior who is to come, or who has come. Um, So this morning, I think we're finishing off Zechariah's story, and we're picking up where Morag left off a couple of weeks ago. So um, for a while, Zechariah had um, been deaf and couldn't speak, um, and then stuff happened. They decided to name their baby John, and miraculously, once they decided that, he was able to speak again. And all the people who were there were like, what? What's going on? And they all were like, this, like something's going on with this baby, John. Like, something cool's happening. We better keep our eyes out as to, as to what this guy's going to turn out like. Uh, and then Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives this prophecy. And that's this morning's passage. Uh, so we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. And we'll read that now, and I didn't prepare someone to read this, so I'm going to read it, and so sorry about that. Here we go. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. And we have been rescued for our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Lovely. Uh, we're actually not going to talk that much about John the Baptist this morning. I'll save that for a, a later preacher once we get more into his story. Um, but for us, the, the coming of the Messiah is so important to Zechariah because it is God coming to faithfully save his people. Zechariah's response is to be sent out to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness. And he prophesies the same over his son, John. So the title for today's sermon, if you're into that sort of thing, is God Faithfully Saves and God Faithfully Sends. So today's passage is a bit of a sandwich. We've got bits about God faithfully saving in verses 68 to 73 and then 78 to 79. And then in the middle, we have this chunk on God faithfully sending. Um, So I'll start with God faithfully saving in this passage and then God faithfully sending. And we'll finish with what those things might look for us today. So this first section, God faithfully saves. Up to 73, it's quite a short section. It's only a couple of sentences, but packed into that is so much history and loss and guilt and anticipation for the first century Jews. Zechariah is pulling out some of the big names like Abraham and David and the prophets. It's like the the Israelite Avengers, I guess. is that, can I say that? Is that all right? Who does theology? Is that all right? No? No, it's not like that. It's not, forget that, scratch that. <laughs> He's saying all this history, all these stories we've grown up with, all the passages we've memorized and all the laws we've tried to keep have led to this. And that can be really hard for us to relate to because we're not living in the same time and historical and cultural setting as Zechariah was. So I'd love to recap the whole story of the Old Testament Uh, But sadly, we really don't have time for that. There are a few things, though, that I'd like to draw out of the Old Testament for what we're talking about today. Firstly, the promise given to Abraham by God in Genesis 22 is really central to the Israelite identity. He said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of this promise being fulfilled as the people or individual characters actually submit themselves to God and follow him. One key example of this is during the golden age reigns of of King David and his son, King Solomon. And most of the prophets of the Old Testament look back to that time, look back to them as, as the time when God's promise Um, to Abraham was really being seen in Israel. Secondly, the story of the Old Testament is one of incredible grace. God consistently saves his people despite the fact that they turn their backs on him over and over and over again when they should know better. God saving his people is the rhythm of his character. He is a God who saves time and time and time again. And I really can't stress this enough. My reflection from reading the Old Testament is that almost every story in the Old Testament is one of God saving his people. Even with all the prophets pronouncing all of the judgment, they either also include how God will one day redeem his people, 
or they're offering multiple opportunities for the people to turn back to God. And thirdly, Luke's gospel joins the story centuries uh, after centuries of relative silence from the Lord. The people are back in the promised land after having been exiled for decades. They're still in a sort of exile because they've been oppressed by successive foreign rulers for centuries, unable to live out the promise God gave to Abraham generations before. But in today's passage, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and sees that God has finally come to save them. He says in verse 68, he has come to his people and redeemed them to rescue us from the hands of our enemies. At last, the Lord has come to save his people once again. And I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the burden of centuries of hurt and longing being lifted in this moment as Zechariah sees that the time for God's anticipated salvation is now. He does indeed faithfully save. The Lord comes to his people and redeems them. I always thought of redeeming as just simply another word for saving someone. Um, but actually baked into the meaning of redeem is the idea of paying the ransom price to set a slave free. God coming to redeem his people means he is coming to pay the price to buy their freedom. In the first century when Jesus was born, the Israelites would have probably imagined that God saving them from slavery meant saving them from the oppressive regime um, from which they were under. Reinstating the nation of Israel as an independent state with a new king and high priest and the temple was all great and yay. And so that could be as it was back in the day. But God's plan was actually much bigger than that and we'll see more of that as we go through Luke. God's salvation didn't look like how many people first expected. Nor did it come when a lot of people had hoped. Generations of people before Zechariah had been longing for the Lord to come and redeem Israel, to set them free. But the Lord came when he felt it right to do so. So there's a couple of things I want to draw out here before we move on. Firstly, God saves in his own time, by his own will, in his own way. Or, conversely, not on our time, not by our own willpower, and not always in the way we'd like. But his way is good. And if all else fails, we know that one day Jesus will return and put the world back to how it's meant to be. So whatever the case, God does faithfully save. Secondly, throughout the Bible, if you look carefully, when God saves, it's usually marked by him saying, I will be with you. God's salvation is marked by God's presence. The Lord comes to his people and redeems them. He sits with those in chains, he releases them, and then gives them a new life with him. And that brings us on to the next section. God faithfully sends, in verses 74 to 77. He didn't come to set Israel free from oppression just for freedom's sake. He also set them free for them to be a blessing to the nations. God's saving and God's sending are a package deal. If we separate the two from each other, they begin to lose their vitality to us. We are saved so that we can be sent to do God's work, 
And we do God's work because we've been saved by him first. And it's more than a you scratch my back so I'll scratch your back type of deal. God sets us free from the pit of death and raises us to life. And life looks like doing what he says and then seeing his love and mercy flow out into the world through us. That's real living. And that's what we've been raised to. God faithfully saves us from sitting in death and then sends us out instead with life-bringing purpose. Yes. I think, and I think this is what Zechariah is getting at when he said in verse 74, we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. I want to focus in on those three aspects of serving God that Zechariah mentions, without fear, in holiness, and in righteousness. But before I do, it's really worth pointing out that he doesn't say we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without pain, difficulties, and hardship. In fact, these are things that Jesus says we will encounter as we follow him. Instead, Zechariah says we can serve without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live, in brackets, through the difficulties and the hardship. So we first look at serving God without fear. We don't necessarily read that in the same way as the first century Jews did, under the oppressive rule of the Romans. We're not exactly in the same boat, whatever you might think. But, but we all often live in fear nonetheless. And that fear often holds us back from doing what the Lord tells us. I know for me, the Lord has been speaking about my fear of what people think about me. Whether that be my family or my friends, role models or colleagues, the most frequent reason I've given to the Lord for not doing what I think he's saying is that I'm afraid of what others might think about me. I remember when I was working at the school, there were times when I felt a nudge by the Lord to offer to pray for someone, and I would totally shut them down because I was scared I would look like an idiot, or the person would reject me, or I'd pray, nothing would happen, and again, I'd look stupid. In those moments, honestly, it's like I'm forced to choose between security in God and security in other people's opinions. And there have been many times when I haven't been able to give up that sense of security I've placed in other people liking me. I've chosen, in that split second, almost by instinct, to hold on to that habit, rather than just let go and run with what I think the Lord is asking. God has been kind enough to invite me to ask him for help, and I've begun to see that shift, though there's still a long way to go. But I need help from the Lord in order for me to know deep down that because I've been saved by God, my security can be in him and him alone. And then I have to let that freedom shape all of my decisions rather than being trapped by fear. If I go for it, I might well get to see the Lord transform that person's life. I might well get to see them be healed or set free. And if nothing happens, is that really so bad? What are some of the things that we have put our security or hope in? And have they begun to control us by fear? I think there's an invitation this morning to invite the Lord in and ask for help. 
Because God has saved us. We don't need to live in fear. So let's put our security in him because he's more faithful and more good than anything else we could put our security in. There'll be an opportunity to respond and receive prayer at the end for that. Then there's serving in holiness and righteousness. These two things are very much linked, but are subtly different. I like to think of them as holiness is our being is good, and righteousness is our doing is good. Taking those in turn, what does it mean for us to serve in holiness, for our being to be good? Holiness could have its own sermon series to talk about, but at the core of it, it's about being set apart for God. A bit like how all the toys in Toy Story have Andy's name on them, so they're set apart for Andy. For us, if we have accepted Jesus' offer, then we are a part of the household of God. It's like he's written his name on us. And I'm not plucking that imagery out of nowhere. The high priest in the Old Testament was to wear a medallion on his forehead. Um, and it describes in Exodus 28 that the medallion is made of pure gold and engraved on it like a seal are the words, holy to the Lord. And in place of the Lord would be the, the Lord's name. And that medallion must be attached to the front of the, of, of the turban which the, Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the high priest was meant to wear. Then you think that with the outpouring of the Spirit, we're actually all called to be priests to the nations. And that idea is taken further in Revelation 22. After the Lord has fully returned, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We are his. He bought us with the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. Sometimes we like to hold on to parts of ourselves and even not, the, not let the Lord into parts of ourselves, parts of our past, our emotions, or our lives. In doing so, we are fighting our true identity and holding back from God. I want to encourage you that if instead we let go of the things we hold on to, the parts of us we struggle to share with God and give them over to him, then we'll find greater levels of freedom and healing in his hands. Paul says this in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offering God everything Hiding nothing from him is the worship he really wants. And we try to make space for that and express that in our song worship on a Sunday. To serve him in holiness, therefore, is to serve him with nothing held back. We serve God with everything we've got and everything we are, laying it all before him. Was it John Wimby who said, we are like spare change in the pocket of the Lord for him to spend? Then to look at serving him in righteousness, our doing being good. Let's look at the second part, that Romans quote, actually, verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Serving in righteousness is about doing life God's way. This takes time to learn and discern, and you've got to let me know if you get there, because then we can all learn from you. But the more we spend time with God in his word and with his people, the more we'll be transformed to live by his will, to listen to his voice, discern that it's him talking, and go with what, we, what he says above what we want or what we think is right. And we do this with all the patience, wisdom, and discernment that we can muster. But if we want his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that starts with us doing his will in our lives today. So, because the Lord has saved us by his love, we can and should serve him without fear, with everything we are, our whole selves, and do whatever he says, because it's good. Otherwise, we're missing out on all that he redeemed us for. To finish off, I want to talk about what God faithfully saving us and sending us might look like today. I think verses 78 to 79 of today's passage give just a beautiful image of what God saving us looks like. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. I think this passage beautifully describes both the work of Jesus 2,000 years ago that set us free from sin and death and the ongoing saving that we so often need in our day-to-day lives. Maybe you read that passage and you're like, that sounds like me. Maybe you feel like you're sitting in the cold, damp darkness or like you're living in the shadow of death. God's salvation is like the rising morning sun. His gentle warmth seeps in and thaws out the cold and the damp, and his light reveals the way forward. This can happen all of a sudden. I've seen people prayed for, and God, in an instant, can break whatever power has been oppressing that person, often for years. And we will pray for that, and we do pray for that in our, in our times at the front. Other times, it's a long, slow process of God gently leading us through, providing for us on the way. And that can take months or years. Either way, he is gentle and kind and good and does only what we give him permission to do. So if you feel oppressed by a situation or relationship in your life, if you need God's provision or if you feel trapped, Come forward for prayer in just a moment. Welcome God in. Give him permission and see what he does. God faithfully saves. It might not be when we'd like or how we'd like, but he is in the business of saving his people. If you're not a Christian and you've never accepted Jesus' offer for him to save you and you'd like to, in a moment when I invite people to come forward for prayer, come and grab me, and all this, all Caitlin will be at the front, and I'd love to introduce Jesus to you. 
I also feel like this morning there are some people who, when I spoke about sitting in darkness, you instantly connected that with living in shame. God's mercy is tender and is on offer to you, and you haven't gone too far from him. In Lamentations it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You haven't asked for forgiveness too many times. You haven't reached the end of his love. It's never too soon to run back to him. If you feel trapped by shame, or you recognize that as a regular rhythm in your life, then come forward in a moment to receive prayer. Sitting in shame is like sitting in the shadow of death. God is wanting you to sit in the light and warmth of his love instead, always. And finally, God faithfully sends us out. Church, there is work to be done. We were once slaves to sin, now we have a new purpose bringing God's life and light to the world. We each have our place, we each have our task, so let's go for it, without fear, in holiness and in righteousness. If you're thinking, I don't feel that brave, holy or righteous right now, there's no shame in that. There's an opportunity this morning to offer our whole selves again, to invite the Lord into places that we may have been hiding from him, even past hurt or shame. Maybe some of us just don't really know exactly what the Lord is asking us to do at the moment, or don't feel like you have anything to offer. If any of that's you, come forward to receive prayer. Be filled again with the Holy Spirit this morning. I've said a lot of words this morning, most of which were written when I was feeling pretty ill and foggy. Uh, So I don't know if any of that made sense. But the the real power this morning is not in my words, but is in what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying, as it always is. So let's ask him to continue to do that. Why don't you stand with me and I'll close to pray. I'll pray to close. There we go. That's a better way of saying that. Some people might not be aware about, of what's about to happen, um, or maybe you're not totally comfortable with it yet. Um, I'm gonna pray, and then um, the band will start playing and come forward to receive prayer for anything that you feel like the Lord is saying or doing, or for anything else. Um, and we invite people to come to the front because that step of, it's like a step of buying in. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna risk looking like an idiot, maybe. Maybe I might cry, maybe I might fall over or shake or whatever. But we take that step forward of like, God, I trust you, and I'm up for it. And that's actually really powerful, and the Lord honors that. There's nothing particularly special about this space, but it's that step of faith of like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. So if you wanna receive prayer, I really encourage you. You could stay in your seat if you wanted, but I really encourage you to come forward. And then people who we trust are gonna come alongside you and pray for you and just invite the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. So let's pray. We welcome your presence, Lord Jesus.
Lord, we're sorry for when there are things that we've kept from you. Because we know that you ask for everything. And we know that that's good for us. It's good to give you everything. Lord, we're sorry. This morning we turn back to you. And we offer it all again. Lord, reveal to us the parts of our lives which are covered in the shadow of death. And we invite your light in this morning. The light of your tender mercy. We invite the light of your tender mercy this morning, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your power to save us. So we welcome you in, Lord. We invite you in. Come and move in us this morning. Amen.